0: morning, Redeemer. Hey, it's, uh, it's good to be here with you. I wish um, that was a more literal statement than it is, that we were actually together. Um, it's kind of odd not having the kids march out and have to re-quiet the room, but glad that we can jump into Scripture together this morning. Um, we're going to be back in Proverbs after a week off for Easter. We're going to enter our back into our series through Proverbs. And just as a means of um, a little bit of recap, um, remember, we have defined wisdom as being skilled at living, um, that we want to look at every area of life and how do we do it well, um, not just with, with mama wisdom, not just with, with West Texas know-how, but with biblical wisdom, knowing that Jesus is the embodiment of God's wisdom, that wisdom isn't just having more information or knowing more things, but it is actually found in the person of Jesus. And so as we've started um, Proverbs, what we've done is a little different than what we typically do. Typically, we're we're kind of preaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through a book of Scripture. Proverbs doesn't really lend itself that way. It forces us um, to really look at topics, um, because Proverbs are these kind of short, pithy statements. Um, They're a collection of of wisdom and sayings. And so we've had to, to combine different Proverbs throughout the book into our study And so, if you are are new to to Redeemer, um, even over just kind of the quarantine period, and would like a bit of an introduction to Proverbs, we don't have a video for that, but you can um, go to RedeemerPampa.com or to any podcast catcher and search Redeemer Pampa and find the intro message to Proverbs if you'd like a little more insight into how we're doing and what we're doing um, in this series. Um, and so what we're going to do this morning is, listen, we're going to look at money. And money is one of those topics that is always sensitive. I understand that I have a reputation for, for not talking about it often, probably not nearly enough, and it's kind of a running joke. And, and then just knowing that, that money is a sensitive subject, that we don't like talking about it. Um, it's kind of that and weight. Those are the two questions you don't ask. You don't ask somebody how much they weigh, and you don't ask somebody how much they make. And yet money is a significant and important issue. It is a discipleship issue. And I think it would be easy for some of us to kind of to push back and to say, wait a second, why is that? Why is this a church discipleship faith issue? Why is it not just my, my business? And the first reason is this, is that we know that Scripture teaches that all of life is either We are in in the things that we do. We see in First Corinthians 10:31 that in all that we do, we are either honoring God or we're not. There's no gray area. There's no kind of um, where we turn faith off for a little while, but we're not sinning. We are either honoring and pleasing and glorifying God in our relationships, and our thoughts, and our actions, and our desires, and our spending, and the swiping of our debit card, or we're not. Um, and, And there's just no middle area. And so if all of life is worship, then we want even how we spend our money to be pleasing, honoring, and glorifying to God. That's first and foremost. Second is this, um, is that Psalm 24-1 tells us that everything belongs to him. That everything in creation is already God's and that he has stewarded it to us um, to use temporarily. And so if it all belongs to him, then we want to be good stewards of the things that he has provided us to to have and to utilize, um, so that he would say of us, well done, good and faithful servant, with the gifts and the talents that we have, with the time that he's given us, however long that is, and with the money and resources that he has gifted us as well. And then the third thing is this, is that we know that money has a hold on our heart, um, far more than we want it to, far more than we would like, um, and really whether you have money or not. This isn't a matter today of Um, People with money have have more issues and people with less money have fewer issues. We know that that simply the desire for money or having money or anywhere else in that spectrum creates difficulty, it creates issues. um, That money really can become an issue of of freedom and slavery for us, of wanting to handle that well because it can just really arrest our attention and our heart. And so I want to begin in Proverbs thirty verse 7 and 9. And this is really one of the few prayers that we find in the book of Proverbs. And the author says this, Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? or lest I be poor and still and profane the name of my God. We see Paul in Philippians saying that he has learned to be content whether he has much or whether he has little, because Jesus is enough for him, that he is sufficient. And the, and the Proverbs here tell us, listen, we don't want to have so much that we forget God, that we, that we curse him, and right, and forget him, because we are depending on something else. And we don't want to have too little that we would curse God because we're driven to, to theft and to, to feeling like he's not providing for us, that we want to walk this kind of line between those two. And that's where wisdom comes into this, of finding skill and living in our finances. Um, we're going to have to tackle several misconceptions. Um, we all have opinions and kind of leanings when it comes to Scripture, when it comes to money and the way things talk about Scripture, the church backgrounds that we grew up in, are going to affect us greatly in this conversation. Because depending on where you turn in Scripture, we can make um, a lot of arguments. And and we really what we want to do is we want to look at the totality of what the Word says. Because we can make an argument for the prosperity gospel from Scripture, right? If you go to Genesis and look at the patriarchs and see how God blessed them with land, with with animals, with... um, with finances, right? That we can begin to see that it seems that God's hand of blessing and, and pleasure and agreement with people was financial. We see even in the Old Testament with Job, this wealthy individual who was um, broken for a while, and in the end was restored um, double. He got twofold back. We can look at Proverbs fourteen. We'll be turning through several proverbs. We look at Proverbs fourteen. Twenty-four, which says, the crown of the wise is their wealth. Right? The crown of the wise is their wealth. You can turn to Proverbs 10, 22, and hear this. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. So the blessing of the Lord makes rich. And then one more. And this is Proverbs 22, 4. And we see this the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life, right? And so we can take some of these stories that we find in scripture, begin to add some of these proverbs to it and say, listen, what the Lord wants is to bless us and to give us ease and comfort and riches And the way that we know that we're being faithful and obedient is with wealth. And yet we can also turn to Amos where we see the, the absolute anger and judgment of the Lord coming upon the wealthy because they have not stewarded their gifts well in Israel for the, for the blessing of the people. We can turn to Hebrews 10, where the church itself, right, the, the author of Hebrews is writing them and, and commending them because they have seen the plundering of their own homes and goods and resources, and they've done it joyfully because they've said Jesus is enough and he's sufficient. Right And and in their poverty and in their lack and in their loss, they're being commended as being blessed of the Lord and faithful and obedient. We can look at at Matthew 19, right, at the rich young ruler, and see Jesus asking him to sell all that he has to follow Jesus and and know that the prosperity gospel isn't sufficient. That even though we can take some of these verses and, and see that the Lord does not speak ill of wealth, that his blessing is not found solely in wealth. That it's, it's found in, in obedience, right? It's found in, in trusting Jesus. And so if we're not careful, we can run in that regard and hold up these verses. as all that Scripture has to say about money. But we can also go to the other end and say that, listen, poverty is actually godliness. Because we want to look like Jesus. And he didn't have anywhere to lay his head. And he didn't have a home. And yet, if we look at that we see these other stories of God blessing. We see the kings of Israel in their wealth. We see that the wealthy in the early church blessed with the selling of property to take care of others, and they were not condemned for the wealth. That We see in the early churches being planted in cities throughout, Right, that the wealthy often offered up homes, large homes, for the church to gather in, and they are not condemned for the wealth. And so the prosperity gospel isn't all that Scripture has to say about money. And, and a poverty ethic isn't all that Scripture has to say about money. That, that there, are, there are truths in both of these and, and in across the spectrum. Listen, Scripture has a ton to say about money. There are more than um, 2,000 verses in Scripture regarding money. Nearly half of the parables of Jesus mention money as a scene. And so what we want to do is begin to see the totality, the whole message and Proverbs is a great place to go because it, it treats this topic in a, in a wide swath of verses. Because Scripture says some hard things, and let's be warned this morning as we talk about this. This Scripture tells us that we cannot serve two masters, God and money. Right? That it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And that the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money is the root of all evil. That these are hard and true sayings about wealth. And in church, even though we are in the midst of a difficult financial time in our nation, we are still a wealthy people and a wealthy nation. Comparative to much of human history, compared to much of the world even today. And so what I want us to do this morning... And next week, and and potentially longer, but at least for two weeks, is just kind of work through some different angles and aspects of money, and how Proverbs um, leans into those. Um, Listen, I understand that by just now telling you that we're going to take this over a couple weeks, you may not tune in next week, right? I mean, that's where we have to cue the laugh track, because there's no one in the room to respond to whether that was funny or not. Um, So we'll we'll, we'll deal with that at a later date. Um, But here's where I want us to start. And maybe you're just thinking that was a super long intro. But first and foremost is this, is that, that money is a tool, and it's, and it's ultimately, it, it's good. Um, and here's how we know. Because in creation, God looked at, at, at the world that he's made, and he said, it is good. All the precious metals that are in, um, in the ground, right. All the, the valuable resources, natural, that are throughout humanity, right? All the, the, the food products that, that are grown, all of these things that we have built economies around, God looked at them and he saw them and he said it's good that his creation is good. And yet, they've been affected by the fall, right? That things have been corrupted, that things have been misplaced, that things have been a challenge by the fall, and the fall is when Adam and Eve rebelled against a holy God, when they chose their way instead of his way, and rebelled against Him. and in that everything was broken. Everything was broken. Our relationships with one another, our relationships with God and, and creation itself was broken. And so I just want to look at four quick ways um, that money has been affected by the fall. And the first is in Proverbs 15:27. And we're going to see this idea of greed, that greed has entered. So let me read from Proverbs 15, 27. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. Right? So the one who is greedy for unjust gain will trouble his own home. In Proverbs 13, 4, we see another effect that, that simply our desires for money have been. Affected and corrupted, that we cannot trust them. Listen, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Right, the the soul of the sluggard it craves and it and it gets nothing. In Proverbs twenty-two, verse sixteen, we see just injustice and and poverty. Right in verse in in sixteen of twenty-two. Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty, right? That things have been broken and corrupted, that there are those who would use their knowledge, their power, their money to oppress and to hold down others, right? If we turn over to Proverbs 28, verse 22. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come after him. Right? That it, we're not reflecting the character of God, who is a God who is generous and is a God who provides. And so we see greed. We see our desires corrupted. We see poverty. Sometimes it's due to laziness. Sometimes it's due to, to injustice and inequality in the world. And we see us not reflecting God's nature with resources. And that, right, that this good gift that was given has been corrupted and affected by the fall. And so, where we're going to go at this point. Um, is to look at this idea of, of security. And one of the most common struggles, idols that we have is, is putting security in money, right? And probably the two biggest issues that, that an American believer would have is that we would put too much security um, in our own finances and that we would put too much security in our own nation right, in our military might, in the security and the stability of our country, and that if either one of those are shaken, right, with, with wars or rumors of wars or, or political unrest, or whether we see a stock market being affected and our 401ks being affected, and, and the, the issues that we're currently seeing with COVID-19 and the effect that it has on the economy, that when those things begin to be shook, right, that we see our stability crumble and fall, and we realize that an idol is being revealed, that there are things that we are putting too much faith and trust in, that it's rattling us, that we're putting our hope and our trust in our money and in our retirement funds and those things to deliver us, right? To deliver us ease, to deliver us comfort, to deliver us um, uh, vacations, right? Enjoyment and relaxing, to deliver us um, a, a, a satisfying retirement to deliver us re- status, to deliver us peace, right? That, that instead of leaning in to Jesus for our, our hope and our security and our satisfaction, that we were looking to a bottom line financially. And so right now, many of us are shook and we are rattled by this because our security was in finances far more than we would have cared to have an- admitted, maybe far more than we even knew. So listen again to Proverbs 11 here we have verse 28 whoever trust in his riches will fall but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf right the proverbs just speak plainly the one who trusts in his riches will fall and then also if we turn over to chapter 23 uh, with verse 4 and 5 we see this do not toil do not work to acquire wealth be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for it suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. Now listen, the Proverbs are going to clearly tell us that we need to work to provide and to make money. What Proverbs 23 is saying is, listen, that our, that our wealth, is it can vanish like that. It can fly off. It can flutter off. That we're not able to, to hold on to and control it sometimes in, to the degree that we want to. Listen, when I was probably seven or eight. I don't remember the, the year exactly. I was hunting with my father and my grandfather and my uncle in uh, southwest Oklahoma. And we were out on the Red River, and we were, we were walking around with our, our guns, and we came to the Red River, and it was cold, and it was iced over. And I remember thinking, hey, I've never, I, I just, this looks awesome. I want to walk across this thing because I could see a sandbar just a few feet out. And so I remember very vividly handing my gun to my dad, I mean, my my grandfather, and my uncle are standing there and they they have these kind of smiling but concerned looks on their face. And I step out onto the ice and the ice did not hold. It did not hold for even a moment. And I just plunged underneath. And, you know, in that moment as a seven, eight year old kid, I thought, well, this this is probably it. I go all the way under. And as I bob up, they, they grab me, pull me out. Um, and immediately, you know, get to work, uh, drying me off and warming me up, um, trying their best not to, not to laugh too hard at me, right? And in the midst of that, what had happened, I was, I was finding it hard to breathe, like I had been shocked and stunned. Um, I was definitely in need of rescue. I don't think I could have pulled myself out. I was wearing coveralls and heavy boots and panicking with the slippery bank um, and a very thin level of ice that I was not um, clever enough to have seen in that moment. And I think if we're honest, a lot of us feel like the last month has been that. <laughs> that we have stepped off and the financial security that we had or we hope to have, we have fallen through and we are come up spluttering, looking for rescue, trying to find someone to pull us out. And, and I think about that and realize, what did my, my father, my uncle, and my grandfather know that I didn't, right? They, they saw something, right? And they were not going to put their faith, um, and, and their adult man bodies on that thin ice. And when it certainly didn't hold a seven-year-old boy, it wasn't going to hold them. That they saw something that I didn't see. And if we look at Matthew 7, in Matthew 7 we see um, both the wise man and the fool. And, and the wise man builds his house on the firm foundation of the wisdom of God. And the fool builds his very much not. And the storms of life and the circumstances of life actually befall both of them. And the fool's house who's built on sand was washed away. And listen, the one whose house was built on the rock, the storms and circumstances of life still came. He did not avoid them. And yet his house stood firm because his security right, was not in anything other than the wisdom of God. And so right now, some of us, it feels like things have been washed away. And I'm not talking about the balances of your 40Ks, that if you had, advi- had, had had a more godly advisor, that those things would have looked different. What I'm saying is the circumstances of life fall on all of us. And as, as they fall, right, is where is our hope and where is our security? Is it in the bottom line of bank accounts and portfolios or is it in Jesus? as our, the one that we can trust, the one that will provide, the one that we can depend on. And so I want, to, I want to say this, that money is a tool, and it is a gift, and it is beneficial until it isn't, right? And there will be a day where we will stand before God, and at that point, money doesn't matter anymore. And, and listen to how the Proverbs talk about this day. We see in Proverbs 11, verse 4, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Right that profit, um, sorry, riches do not profit in the day of wrath. When the day of death, the day where we will stand before God, at that point our, our money, whether it's little or much, do not it doesn't matter. Verse 7: When the wicked dies, his hope will perish, and the expectation of wealth will perish as well. We also see in chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. In favor is better than silver or gold. Listen to verse 2. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Right There is one place where we will stand before in judgment. And we'll stand there whether we were rich in this life or poor in this life. And in that moment, the only thing right, that brings hope or comfort is Jesus right? It's not our bank account. It's not um, the the ups and downs and security or, or lack of security we had in life. It is Jesus himself, and that we will either stand there with him providing our righteousness and our innocence because of his faithful life, death, and resurrection. We will stand there very much alone without Jesus and with nothing to say, nothing before us other than our sin, right? That money is useful in this life, but it is useful temporary. And so we have to not give it this eternal significance and a primary focus in this life and let it be what it is, simply a tool, but that our security, our eternal security and our temporal security in this life is found in Jesus, right? We have to understand that that our finances can be shaken, that we are not in as much control as we think, and that they're temporary, that they have an expiration date. Um, I was reading uh, about, I believe it was Rockefeller this week, and, and someone asked his accountant at the end of his life, hey, how much did he leave behind? And the accountant quipped, um, kind of a smart aleck answer, all of it. <laughs> right? That, that he knew what the man wanted was to know how much did he have, but what he said was he left it all behind. Right? That it, it's, it all remains here. And so as, as we see it going and fading, as we feel like we've lost and we're asking the question of will we be able to, to make it up in time for retirement or will we have the security that we want, I would just encourage us to find our hope in places like Psalm 46. Because in Psalm 46, we see this. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Right. If if you move down to verse 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God, and I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Church, Jesus is our refuge. We run to and find hope and peace and satisfaction and joy and refuge in him. That God has provided our security by providing a rescue plan in Jesus who came and lived the life we were meant to live in complete faith, trust, and obedience, sinless perfection. Went to the cross to take the wrath of God, His dissatisfaction with our sin upon His shoulders and upon Him instead of us. And then because He was innocent, that our enemies were defeated as He came out of the tomb, Defeating sin, Satan, and death. right? Providing access back to the Father. Providing um, access to the one that provides hope and refuge and, and security. And if he has richly provided for us that, he will richly provide for us all that we need. He tells us not to be anxious. Not to worry that he knows our needs. He knows our frailty. And he will care for us. And he will provide for us. And in these times we're finding, do we believe that? Do we trust that? Or is our security only in numbers rather than in knowing the king of the universe, the one who is ours and we can be his? Are we satisfied in God? Do we trust him? Do we depend upon him? The flip side of this we would find in Ecclesiastes. This is verse 10 of chapter 5. It says this, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase to eat them. What advantage has the owner but to see them with his eyes? He's basically telling us, listen, you will never be satisfied with your income. You'll never be satisfied with money. You'll always crave and long and need and want more. That when we look for our security and our peace, and our money, it steals the glory from God who has said, I am here and I am sufficient. I will care for you. I will provide for you. My grace is enough. My mercies are new every morning. I'm Emmanuel, God, with us. Church, would we be buoyed, encouraged by that? That the storms of life can hit, the circumstances of life can be difficult, and Jesus will not leave us. He will not forsake us. He is with us, and for us, for our good and for his glory. And then one final thing as we wrap up this morning. One way that we can kind of combat putting too much weight and dependence on on our resources, on our money, listen, is to be generous, right? And so we have as a core value of Redeemer is being generous. And so when we say that, we say we want to be generous with our gifts, with our time, with our talent, with our resources. Um, Specifically this morning, we just mean we want to be generous with our money, (laughs) Because in being generous and holding these things loosely, right, that we're not then believing that they, they belong to us as much as, as we sometimes can convince ourselves that they do. That it helps us to see them rightly. Listen to Proverbs 22, verse 9. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor, right? That, that it, there's blessing in generosity. If you turn over to Proverbs eleven, verse twenty-four, we'll see this: one gives freely, right, is generous, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers once. If we turn to Matthew, or sorry, Matthew, Proverbs fourteen, verse twenty-one. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. And then down in verse thirty-one of chapter fourteen, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Right? We can see proverbs um, commending generosity to us throughout the book, telling us that listen, we want to we want to honor God, we want to be generous. That the one who gives actually finds himself wealthier in return. Not necessarily meaning financially, it's not of I give more to get more, but that he's finding himself rich in relationships, um, in, in good works and deeds, right? That his, he's letting his light shine before men and honoring his father, that he is reflecting God's glory and provision and generosity and looking and living like his, his father. So first and foremost, as we're being generous, it is a, it's a recognition of provision, that it's not ours that God has first provided to us, that he has given us time, energy, smarts, creativity, strength, um, blessing. He's done these things, put them in our hands so that we would be good stewards of what has first come from him because he is the owner of all of it. It is from him. And so when we are generous, we are reminding ourselves where it first came from. Second, that We want one way that we are generous is by tithing, right? Something that I do a, I've already said, I do a bad job of talking about this often, and yet it is a discipleship issue. In Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce, and then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine, right? It's just a reminder the, the, the tithe was meant to teach us some things. It was to teach us that first it came from God, and so we are giving not because he needs it, right? Because it puts our heart in a proper perspective. When Jesus is talking to the religious leaders in, in Matthew and, and throughout the Gospels, and they're talking about how much they're tithing, all these things they're doing, he doesn't commend them for it. He says, but let's, like, let's be righteous as well. Ray Ortland, a pastor in Tennessee, says, listen, giving to the church is not a heroic act of like faithful belief for a mature believer. It's like an entry-level point of obedience. So let's not applaud ourselves or um, pat our backs because we give, right? We're we're called to. And listen, this isn't about rules and percentages. This is about being generous because we want to reflect the character of, of our God who is generous in giving us Jesus, who has not withheld anything from us. And so we give because we've received. It's a reminder for our heart that we have been given so much and he didn't withhold even his son, so he will withhold nothing from us. Um, Jude, the other day, was asking me to do something and he said, hey dad, if you'll do this, I'll give you a quarter and a penny, right? Just this kind of idea of like, man, son, 26 cents. And he's thinking he's being so generous in this moment. And, and as I'm looking at him, I don't, I don't need the 26 cents, right? He wasn't somehow like really wooing me with that because it was mine. The only thing he has has come from me. And so when we give, it's not because God is somehow desperate, um, that the church is desperate. It, he, he knows that we have it because he's given it to us. And it's a way for our hearts to be aligned, to see it properly and appropriately. A third thing quickly um, is that we should prioritize our generosity, we don't say, hey, God, if there's enough, I'm going to give it to you in the end, or I'm going to give to others um, who are in need. We prioritize it because, it because it matters, and it loosens our grip on it. That we say, we see what this is, we see where it's come from, we know it's from you, and so this is, this is first, because we want our hearts to be aligned. We want to trust you that you will care for us and provide for us, and that you're in control and that you know our needs better than we do, that you're able to provide for us better Than I am for myself, and we are showing our dependence and our trust on Him. And then, lastly, this look generosity or stinginess is a money itself is just a great revealer of what's going on in our heart. Um, If our hearts are aligned with the things of God or not, where our idols are, where our dependence, where our trust is. And so, listen. This season that we're in is a great opportunity for our hearts to be being revealed. Where have we found things not steady? Where have we found a lack of stability? Where are we grasping because idols are being toppled and tottered and messed with, right? Are we finding a desire to hoard and be stingy right now because we're sure that maybe there's not going to be enough? Or do we find ourselves being generous? <laughs> because in a time of need, we want to reflect a God who rescued us not on our on our best day, but at our worst, that he demonstrated his love for us, that he came for us when we were rebels and enemies and sinners opposed to him, and he has turned right individuals of people who hated him into sons and daughters by being generous with his own son who rescued us, that we would be generous in this time right, of those who are in need by giving out of an abundance or even giving out of a lack because we're trusting a God who is with us and is for us and will care for us. So listen, next week we're going to get into some maybe more practicalities um, to see money as the tool that it is, to put it in its proper place. We're going to look at injustice. We're going to look at debt and savings, what our Proverbs have to say about those things, um, how we should work and gain and think about um, money and work. Um, and so would love for you to, to kind of join in as we hit part two of proverbs and finances, and so would you just join me in prayer in these moments? Father, would, would you remind us that we who know you, that the make up the church, which is not a place or a building, but it, it's a people, God, that if we treasure you, that we are rich, we are rich in Christ, that that everything has been dealt with and and paid for, that we have you. And God, that that's not um, a temporary fix. It's not a temporary feel-good. It is a lasting, eternal thing for now and to the end of time, which will have no end in you. God, that it's for all of eternity that we have you. And so that if you have richly provided for us, Jesus, that we know that you will withhold no good thing from us, that there is nothing in this world that will satisfy us more than you. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of enjoyment of things. There's no th- There's nothing that money can buy. There's no security. There's no dependence that will give us more than what you will give us. And God, those are, are, are maybe easy words to say when when everything is steady and still and we know it is difficult and painful when we don't feel secure. We don't feel comfort and we don't feel at ease. So God, would you just minister to our hearts in these days? God, help us see that you are there and you're with us and you're for us and that you are a strong and safe tower and refuge. God, would you continue to rip apart idols that we have found too much dependence and trust in God, would we put the priority on you and trust you, and would you continue to show yourself faithful. God, we want to be skilled at living, even in our finances. God, would you grant us wisdom in Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.